0: I think it was the theologians who first started the idea, later the philosophers took it over, and now some of the scientists are doing the same. What you are comes out in what you do. You see the point? Out of ourselves and into Christ, we must go. This is Chats Under the Sun with Jacob Volk. I hope you enjoy the conversation. We're live. Sam, Dude, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm super excited to sit down, just chat, and I just wanna, I wanna hear your story about how you, how you got here, and what people, books, situations have influenced you, stuff like that. So, like, if you want to, can we just go back to like some of your education? And when did you start getting an idea that you might want to hold a political office? Like, when did that first start coming into your purview?
1: Frankly, it was quite. Uh quickly before I was actually elected. I, I didn't grow up thinking that I wanted really? Yeah, I wasn't something that I thought I wanted to do when I was growing up. I uh, was actually admitted to university for music performance. Not a lot of people know this, but uh, I, I'm a pianist by background uh, growing up. I was always very interested in current affairs. I was interested in seeing how the world worked and why things happened. Uh, Mm. And and I saw really the importance of the courts in that and how many decisions the courts have made over the years that have a huge impact on our country and how we live. Um, And at the same time, uh, I saw the need to have voices in those areas, but I also never thought of myself as being in the elected side. I always thought of myself as more in the legal side. Um, And one of the big reasons for that was uh, a court decision called the Loyola case, uh, which was in Quebec. That was where a private uh, Christian Catholic school, actually, was told by the government of Quebec that they weren't allowed to teach from a Catholic perspective. And so I was about 15, 16 at the time. I saw that and I was like, oh, that's crazy, I can't believe that governments have that much power to regulate over people's lives, like we need good people involved. Um, but I was planning to go to law school and so I actually was going to university to get an undergrad in uh, mm-hmm. music performance uh, to to go to law school, um, but then ended up working on Parliament Hill and, and uh, yeah, just seeing those doors open that got open for me and, and walking through those doors.
0: Okay. So what are your, what are your, some what are some of your favorite pieces to play like for like what what kind of instrument yeah, so P- I'm a, piano, I'm right? piano. Okay. Yeah,
1: I'm so I'm piano background. Uh, very classical. Okay. Uh, a lot of Bach. Um, a lot of Beethoven. Mm-hmm. Uh, not not necessarily very original, but very very good. I've always enjoyed just the yeah the classical pieces. Obviously some praise and, and worship here yeah. and there, but nothing too crazy. Um, definitely da- a traditionalist. And, yeah, your dad is
0: an organist too. That's right? correct. Yeah,
1: awesome. yeah. So I uh, grew up in a, a large family, and uh, I think you know Micah. Oh yeah. And oh, yeah. He's, he's very musical as well, but so are uh, my other siblings. Um, and so my parents at a young age, they really inculcated that love for learning, but also mm. the love for music. And so they uh, sent us to music lessons. Uh, for most of us, it was piano. I think most of us got our grade eight uh, Royal Conservatory, but some went and did uh, like guitar sure. or yeah. uh, xylophone in one case yeah. and, and different things. So uh, yeah, just growing up, we did a lot of singing, you know, Sunday nights, yeah, but yeah. also just like out and about we did heck sang a lot while we were you know washing the dishes things like that and that really uh yeah grew into a love for just that that gift of music and uh, the way to experience life through uh through the, the that that form of art yeah
0: it's fascinating to me because you you know if you have someone who's in politics like you are one of the last things i would think that their undergrad and passion would be would be music like you might enjoy music, but you were you were proficient. Like you were going in that direction. Yeah, and, so. and I
1: mean that isn't what I've ended up taking as my undergrad now. Like my degree is going to be political mm-hmm. science and economics. But that's because uh, the amount of time you need to be spending every oh, day yeah. at, in at that level of music is is multiple hours a day. And when I went off to Ottawa and was working as a policy advisor there, it was it just wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't doable, right? To spend three yeah. hours a day practicing the piano. Um, and so that that wasn't really. Uh, where i ended up going but it is my background yeah that was that was what i wanted to do it wasn't me wanting to go be an elected official honestly what happened was Um, When people ran for office here in in Niagara West, Glanbrook at the time to replace uh, who was then MPP, Tim Hudak, it really came down to the fact that there weren't people stepping forward who were speaking about the issues that mattered to people in the area. Um, And I tried to find people to run. I actually called a number of different people, some you would know actually from our circles even, uh, and said, hey, you know, we need good people. We need uh, strong voices, pro-life voices to be involved in politics. We need people who are gonna listen to the concerns of people and represent those with integrity. Uh, and everyone was busy Everyone was like well i just started a new mm. job i just you know started a new business i'm doing this i'm doing that is uh is there someone else who can do it and eventually it came down to yeah a lot of prayer and realization that um perhaps i wasn't going to win but i should step forward anyways yeah. and, and try ensure that those voices were being
0: heard and uh yeah god opened doors and here i am that's awesome so even before um ending up in ottawa and i really want to know and like kind of I imagine your time in Ottawa, and you said you were a policy analyst? or Yeah, like, legislative assistant and policy
1: advisor, yeah. Right.
0: And I imagine that time was pretty formative for you in, in a few different ways. Hugely. But even before that, like, in the good old homeschool days, your your parents have, like, produced a lot of very prolific kids. And, well, my like, parents were
1: very prolific. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right? But, like I, like, I know Micah very well, and you've yeah. got some other, like, really incredible brothers and sisters. I do. And so, like... What, what about that environment growing up kind of led to that? I'm just really interested. Maybe this is a question better for your parents, to be honest. Yeah, but- it might be. Uh, I would say one of the big things was always uh, being
1: allowed to question. There mm. was no area of life that was off limits to having conversations about. Um, there was no area of life that uh, we couldn't discuss and talk about and think about critically. And read. Uh, reading was enormous. Uh, we didn't have obviously some of the the same access to social media that we do now, just because mm. it was you know pre-2009 when high-speed internet wasn't a thing yet, yeah. um, at least in our house. Yeah, especially on the boonies. Where yeah, we in live. The bo- Exactly, rural Niagara. We didn't have broadband access quite the way we wanted to. So that was part of it. But another part of it was uh, that that willingness to, on my parents' end, I think, and, and even among my siblings, say, okay, so we might not have the answer. Let's go find the answer, figure out what we think about these things, uh, how we think about ethics, how we think about um, the way the world works, the way we think about <clears throat> Uh, our engagement with culture, the way we think about mm. our engagement in law and, and society and art and music and these sorts of things. Um, and, and have those conversations. And if we don't have answers, that doesn't mean you don't ask the questions. It means you seek to find the answers. And I heard someone the other day, they were saying, uh, actually, I think it was, uh, I'm trying to remember his last name. Either way, he was speaking about deconstruction. And and he said, you know, we hold truth. So why wouldn't why wouldn't we want to ask questions if we know that we're holding on to truth that, that has answers? And so that really became a, a key theme, I believe, in, in all of my siblings' lives as well, is seeking to know truth and then live out that truth. And mm. that's, uh, I think, had an impact in the way we try to live all our lives. We're broken sinners 100%. And, you know, I'm not going to speak for my other siblings, but I know I am. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and yeah. we need that grace. But at the same time, there's a recognition that um, truth is there and we can,
0: we can seek to live that out uh, in, in our calling. Totally. Um, Any books like way on the young side that were that you can remember off the top of your head that were influential? Because I know often, you know, there's books that I'm really quick to recommend now um, as you have having read a bunch. But there are some books that really early on shaped me that maybe aren't even the greatest books, but at the time were incredibly impactful. Can you think of any, I don't know, even, even around age 10, 15, in that kind of early teens age that were like kind of pivotal for you?
1: Yeah, 100%. I was actually thinking about this the other day and one of the books even though um yeah i all quiet on the western front hmm. for some reason that book spoke to me about um who wrote that uh, oh, i can't remember his name now but it, it's one of the most famous it's not hemingway is it War. no it's not no. Hemingway. that's for whom the bells told that's off. it that's what i'm thinking yeah of. for for who it's actually similar in, in theme though okay. which is about essentially the struggle of um, armed men in conflict who are actually young boys and trying to discern why they're at a, you know, a war that so, uh, it's supposed to be for glory and yet at, at the same time in their life, they're seeing that it's uh, just a, a trial, a difficult, mm. you know, living out of of, of um, violence and uh, their values and, and killing each other on the on the field. Uh, so it was Eric Maria Remark. Uh, mm. So that was a, a German veteran of the First World War and a fantastic book that really had an impact in the way that I saw human engagements because I saw people who were completely on different sides Mm. in that book uh, and were killing each other. uh, And yet we're questioning why are we doing this when we have so much in common, right? So thinking about the common humanity through it. And it's a pacifist novel, like the whole point is that you're supposed to hate war at the end of it, uh, which is obviously good good to hate. But at the same time, it just spoke a lot to the human experience, that was one of them. you know the other ones that I found really, really impactful because I really struggled to think about which way our our world was going in regards to those was one was Huxley's uh, Brave New World. Yeah, right. So classic uh, example of dystopian literature that sort of looks at what would the world be like if all these things came to pass. Uh, and then the other was obviously 1984, which I'm sure everyone's mm-hmm. read pretty much. But it's the almost flip side of that dystopian future. Yeah, yeah. So one is based on a dystopian future controlled by pleasure and the other is a dystopian future controlled by power and fear. Mm. Um, and they both speak to like what it is to be human but also like how our desires and our our, our actions impact our own sense of control yeah. and our own sense of being controlled. And I remember reading both of those books very closely together and just being just so torn apart as to like Hmm, what's happening in our culture what's happening in where we are today and how is this impacting where we're going and how we think about um yeah the forces around us so mm. those are books that that i would
0: say were, were hugely impactful uh as well yeah what time do you think you're reading these because those are those are a couple of heavy pieces of literature yeah maybe not like in, in difficulty but I just mean, content right They're... early teens okay yeah, yeah early teens yeah. at
1: the at the latest uh we grew up reading a lot, really early on. It yep. was a, a ton of reading, yep. and that was hugely impactful. Yeah, yep. before high school for sure.
0: I think I have a copy, or your family's copy of uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn's *The Gulag Archipelago* on my bookshelf. Oh, yeah, I stole from Micah like a decade ago.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's, so. the Russians are uh, the Russians are a whole other yep. series. Uh, like all, all of the their literature is just it, it's, it blows it's, your mind.
0: I don't know what God did to the Russians, but like oh. it, they write. Next level.
1: Stuff. Ha, have you if you ever get into um, Soviet montage, which is like Soviet realism, okay. it's actually cinema. It's not it's not movies yep. and I know some people aren't really into cinema but it's it's oh, it's it's so dark, but it's also so expressive of like the Russian identity mm. and, and frankly some of what we're even sadly tragically seeing even today in in Ukraine where it's like They're super super nationalist and motherland mm-hmm. above all but also just they're expecting a life of suffering because for hundreds and hundreds of years they've had suffering. I'm not a Russian expert at all. Sure, by the way, sure. that's not why I'm here. But I'm just since you no, brought up the novels, yeah, yeah. the Soviet realist montage. It's just crazy yeah. stuff.
0: It's no, I, pretty, I totally, I totally resonate with like some of the stuff around World War II is so weirdly personal, like deeply impacting on a personal level. Like when you, like I've read a. Uh, like um, The Rape of Nanking by Iris Chang. Have you heard of that? I have. Yeah, it's a, it's a book about, you know, when the, when, the Chinese, uh, when the Japanese invaded China, they took over a city called Nanking, and it was a complete massacre. And one of the odd things about the book is that the, one of the heroes is a Nazi. Wow. So, he was a, so he was stationed there by Hitler just to kind of, you know, take a look over things. And he was a humanitarian light to the city, to the Chinese people there. And it's just a whole paradigm switch because you're not prepared to be like, respecting one of hitler's guys but yet he was there working really hard trying to trying to help the and he ended up dying there i think just just working really hard to try and save some chinese from like just a massacre and it's and it's just a such a paradigm shift right those those things in war happen sometimes where you're just not prepared to sympathize in an area where it's supposed to be black and white you know what i mean Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. well yeah that's even always um there's another book it's called uh, 1941 it's also on the the same thing uh 1941 it's called the the year that tried men's souls Mm. and it's because in 1941 no one knew which way the war was going yet right so pretty much by the end of 1942 the writing was on the wall that the axis was going to crumble and the allied forces were going to win but in 1941 there was this huge tension because like everything was on a on a razor's edge and so everyone was everyone was so uncertain about what the future mm. was going to bring and what that meant for civilization and for everything that they held dear it's it's a very interesting book and it kind of goes into some of the events yeah.
0: that happened and including that one so yeah. quite a, bring them quite back a history yes there you go um so even when you when you're like looking at some of these court cases that insp- that was kind of inspiring you to potentially go into law do you even have some of these books as almost like a lens you're going like you're paying attention to some of the warnings that Orwell's putting forward in his books then you're looking at these court cases and you're kind of are you I mean, am I right in seeing you're kind of like using, not interpreting each other, but you're really trying to pay attention to the potential ramifications of stuff like that? Well, Does I think, that make sense?
1: Yeah, I think I, I see where you're going with that. I think it all feeds into trying to understand where other people are coming from and, mm. and trying to fulfill your own purpose and, uh, yeah, your, your teleology, like the the purpose of why you are there, right? We've um, spent a lot of time, at least when I was in, in Ottawa, talking about... Um, teleology and how we think about the purpose of a thing and our purpose as as citizens um, our purpose as you know fathers our parent, our purpose as brothers whatever our our identities are and how we live that out and reading those books whatever they were and a lot of different background it you know it wasn't all war and, and Russian yeah, novels yeah. and stuff like that there are a lot of different different books growing up but but I think that those really helped influence um, trying to understand where other people were coming from right reading uh books by buddhist monks and also reading uh books by people that you know you completely disagree with on uh, moral and cultural issues mm-hmm. uh taking courses it's a little bit similar like when you're in university taking courses on areas that perhaps you you you, you have a quite a different philosophical approach than yeah, they do sure. but it's still interesting to think through where they're coming from and to try and understand sort of their underpinning often mm. marxist ideologies but those books all helped me i believe um see the importance of worldview in how people are approaching issues. And in politics, that's enormous. There's so many people who are approaching uh, political life um, and and their worldview is is radically different than the person they're sitting beside. And so in our democracy where you have 124 members, for example, in the Ontario legislature holding a number of different worldviews, they're not, there's not two or three or four worldviews. Each party mm-hmm. within each party has multiple different worldviews that people are approaching the legislation in front of them how do you broker that then right how do you come to consensus and if not consensus at least respectful mis- or disagreement on issues that are hugely important um, and then have a collective society that's moving forward through that and that's i think what everyone's kind of struggling with right now in our in our cultural more moment more broadly where there seems to be this um, inability to see where the others coming from and an inability mm-hmm. to to try see through their eyes and their world even if you end up disagreeing and that's that has a hugely negative impact i think on on the quality of legislation that comes forward but it's why I believe it's important to keep reading keep listening. Yeah, uh, and keep uh, talking to people who
0: might not agree with you on everything. Yeah a hundred percent and that's yeah, that's where You can't overstate how important even a good piece of fiction is to really get you into the mind of someone who you could never become Otherwise, you know, what I mean and even ones you might never, you know for history's sake never have the chance to talk to but you can do your best to live through their eyes for a little bit in a good book Hundred percent, and then integrate that into into the way you see the world.
1: Yeah, I Sorry. love I love historical fiction, and I know mm. uh, it's always a bit of a risky risky yeah. um, thing to do, right? Because historical fiction, it's obviously fiction, and they're trying to say how how you know any number of historical figures might have mm. viewed the world and how their families were, and often it's just kind of based off some diaries and 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 some yeah contemporary accounts, but I still love it. It's totally It's so interesting to think about someone who might've been here 300 years ago or mm. someone who might've been in Rome 2000 years ago or how those things worked. And you know that there's a lot of embellishment and a lot of stuff that probably didn't happen, but it's still just a good way to try to put yourself in another
0: person's shoes. I, I yeah. think and see where they're coming from. Totally. Totally. Do you get much chance to, to I'll, I'll move on from books, but yeah, I, I, I sure. love, I love talking about this. Do you get much chance to read these days? Yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: I'm still, I mean, Okay. I shouldn't say much. Chance, so
0: so I'm still in university part time, right? Okay. So
1: I'm at Mac, um, so I'm doing reading through uh, through my courses there. Uh, just plugging away at one course a semester, working on that, and then uh, I read in the legislature when uh, I'm on house duty and and uh, if I'm able to, if I'm not sort of like up. Or you know, engaging with a particular speech, I'll have a book there that uh, I might peruse and, and go through. Um, and then uh, I try to read every evening before I go to bed. So mm-hmm. it's it's something just fifteen twenty minutes. You don't have to read that long always to still move through oh, yeah. things quickly definitely not like it was in the past before uh before i got into office i, I used to spend hours and hours i definitely just can't do that anymore sure. just given yeah. given the duties that i have and uh, i'm a father now mm-hmm. and you know being a husband and all those things um which are fantastic but they all have time re- time requirements and yeah. uh, all that so definitely don't read as much as i did but still <laughs> always uh always reading and uh, i think i have like yeah, about four books on the go okay. right now so yeah
0: yeah always cool. what, to what, what's through. on the go at the moment um
1: I actually had the second of the Robinson Crusoe books so okay. I, I, yeah um the further adventures of Robinson Crusoe because huh. I reread Robinson Crusoe which is like a classic Dude, everyone's read Robinson That's hilarious
0: Crusoe. I just finished Swiss Family Robinson Oh so, fantastic which is yeah really built off oh, of Oh 100% like,
1: yeah that's like well that was the first of the genre it's yeah. like the first English modern novel Yeah um and so that that, I, I actually ordered the second one because I was like, you know what, the first one was really good. I forgot how good it was. It had been 10 years oh, at yeah. least since I read it. So it was fantastic. And then I read the read the second one. Uh, I'm in, in the middle of the second one. Um, I'm uh, uh, reading one called About the Seventh Earl, who was, uh, he did a lot of work. It's actually about um, assisting like the inner city kids. Uh, during sort of pre Dickens eras, okay, and like setting up schools and helping kids who were in poverty in in England at the time, yeah. Um, and so his story, and he was kind of in poverty himself, but really walked in faith and was able to help address a lot of uh, educational needs that were mm-hmm. there were like no public schools at the time. This was in, in England. So helping to set up public schools and, and provide help for kids who have been abandoned because of like the gin mills and stuff like yeah. that. And then uh, also it's called our our reformed church service book. It's on like the origins of um, like the forms of confession, but also, mm. so we have all these forms that are quasi confessional and status. Like you always have like the Heidelberg and the Belgic yeah. and the Canons, but then we have these whole other section of things in our book yep. uh, that we all like, when you profess your faith, this is what you yep. confess. When Bef- you are before baptized, before Lord's Supper too. Before like, Lord's yep. Supper, but who wrote them? Yeah, right. Where did they come from? What do they mean? What are their origins? And it's really interesting. Like for example, um, this one is by Van Runge, uh, who was a pastor in in the in the U.S. Um, in the American Reformed Churches there, and he wrote a lot about uh, sort of the origins of these forms and how we how we have changed them with time. But the baptismal form is like. 2000 years old like it's crazy huh. old the forms that they were using it like he walks through the different forms and right, right. how the reformation kind of standardized them in synod of dort and stuff like that but then some of the new ones like the confession like our conform for confession uh was from like 1923 like it's huh. quite new right um anyway so it's a very interesting book because it goes yeah. through sort of all of these and and it, it walks through their histories and how we have the forms that they're but it's from i think 1999 so it's actually really old because yeah. already there's been a bunch of changes. There's new additions and stuff for our ours, anyways. But um, it might not be for every Reformed person because there's a lot of differences between the sure. denominations. Yeah, was, that's I'm, what I'm in right now. It's yeah,
0: kind of and and obviously you're would uh, I guess the the Canadian Reformed churches have their own set of forms. Yeah, I more hang out in the FRC churches when I'm here in Canada, so they probably have obviously very similar, very
1: similar. And that's the whole thing is like okay, so they're similar, but they're not three forms of unity, right? So we kind right. of say like, oh, three forms of unity, you have to affirm those, and then we can be sister Mm -hmm. churches or whatever yep Um, but like interestingly enough we wouldn't have ecclesiastical fellowship with the free reformed
0: yeah which is which is interesting
1: interesting because we have very 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 similar backgrounds but we also have very similar like books our books are actually quite similar right Mm -hmm. except I don't think you have hymns i think you have no we're, we're, yeah, yeah. exclusive psalm. so uh, exclusive psalmody but then we do have sister church relationship with like the orthodox presbyterian the opc mm-hmm. um even though they don't have a similar background right because they're yeah. from like the westminster confession yep, yep. background like it's quite different than than the so it's, it's just a very interesting yeah it's a whole interesting kettle of fish we could spend a whole yeah a whole episode talking about that but oh, anyways no. that's what i'm reading right now so there's, that's there's a, there's a few that's thing
0: that i love how um I love how diverse that is. I don't know if you could pick more a more diverse set of reading.
1: Yeah, like I don't know. at least
0: at least in this little vignette of your life. That's, yeah, that's pretty funny to me, to be honest. Yeah, it's
1: interesting. I just I just see things I like on Amazon or I hear something mm-hmm. referenced or I have a Are question you? and I'm like, oh, I wonder about that one. I oh, well, actually, you just mentioned this one the other day on the podcast that I heard um, that you were on with the real talk was, um, and then Carrie ordered it. My wife, mm-hmm. uh, Christ's heart for the lonely or the lowly
0: oh Gentle and Lowly
1: Gentle and Lowly right absolutely so then, wonderful book yeah so yeah. Carrie ordered that because I think because you guys referenced yep. it or oh, yeah, something yeah, yeah. I think yeah. it was or it might have been someone else anyway so now we have that one so that was awesome. next on the list are
0: you, are you an audiobook guy? i'm not actually
1: no i'm a potty i'm a podcast guy i'm not i don't have audible i know like the audible shout outs everyone has but (laughs) no i don't i and but part of the thing is so i do a lot of my phone calling while i'm driving in and out of toronto fair enough because i try to come home as often as i can i do have a condo in toronto that i stay at when the days are long and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but i try to come in and out because when you have a a wife and a young son you want to make sure you're home right as much as you can be um uh, but I try to catch up on a lot of my constituency calls while I'm driving, and yeah. I know if I got into good books, those it's, would fall it's by the wayside. I would, yeah. I would just be like so into my book. So I'm very, I'm, I have to be you quite determined and structured yeah. in my reading because otherwise I would read too much. No, that that's so. right. Yeah, <laughs> it's like anything, right? Yeah. You got to just make sure you know where your weaknesses are, and I would yeah. definitely spend the two hours just like on a book and then get home and have seven calls
0: and then i would just have to make them at home so yeah. i'd rather just and, uh, do the calls while i'm driving yeah, and then i'm home. carrie might not be too thrilled about exactly that, so. so it's straight up okay. gotcha all right books are book conversation maybe we'll come okay that. probably yes. not maybe. but uh, ottawa so what what uh what got you there in the first place so what because that's that's an interesting thing not too many people go for at least from our circles go and work in in politics
1: yeah so there was different opportunities um so my cousin's a member of Parliament federally, okay. Arnold Pearson. So he's a member of Parliament, uh, and there was an opportunity that arose with um, uh, Garnet Jenis, mm-hmm. who's an MP that's done a lot of fantastic work on uh, religious freedom and like international human rights and things like that. Uh, he wasn't actually an MP yet; he was he was um, running to become an MP. This was the 2015 federal election when the Conservatives lost government federally, and. Uh, And he was looking for someone to come and and work on the campaign. And so I I called up my cousin, who was also a candidate at the time, Arnold. And I said, hey, do you know anything about this Garnet guy? And he said, yeah, absolutely. Garnet's a great guy. You should go talk to him. And so I was kind of like, OK, we'll see you. You know, it's it's something that we'll we'll look at doing. And uh, so I I wrote to him and we had a phone call and then I went out to Alberta and worked on his campaign. I was a volunteer coordinator for a few Mm -hmm. months Uh, and then we lost the federal election, but he won his seat. Um, and then I ended up getting a call from another MP who was newly elected, who was looking for staff and said, hey, can you come uh, work with me in, in my office in Ottawa uh, just for a year? Because I said, I want to go back to university and, and get a degree mm-hmm. at the time I was only just 18. Right. Yeah. And so uh, <clears throat> I went off to Ottawa and uh, went and uh, lived there with a couple guys. Uh, we split, in a, split an apartment, had great conversations, met amazing people, had uh, just a, a real growth phase uh, spiritually as well because as as you know you know um so much rich uh such a, an amazing rich inheritance of grace that we've been given in our circles and and just that uh wealth of church history and family mm. history and you know culture and all these sorts of things that are amazing and and you know every canadian group has that italians have their culture and mm-hmm. and you know vietnamese have theirs and it happens to be dutch have theirs and in our case the reformed there's a tie in there um so i'm not at all speaking ill of that but but it definitely wasn't uh quite the opportunity to engage with people from different faith backgrounds in the way mm-hmm. that in ottawa all of a sudden you're working with Uh, Jews and Sikhs and Hindus and Muslims and and Pentecostals and Baptists and like all of it, right? And you're like getting, you're getting right into it with these conversations. And so I I got tied in with a a prayer group on the hill. We met on uh, Wednesdays for lunch and we would, uh, yeah, just talk together and and have all these conversations. And I'll never forget, I was uh, flying out to... With another fellow who also is working on on Garnet's campaign and we're sitting there having this conversation. I'm reading a book and he's reading a book. We're kind of like talking a little bit about, you know, where we're coming from. He's a faithful Catholic, good friend of mine, and just a wonderful man. He's actually studying to be a priest. in seminary in Peterborough now. Um, but at a certain point, we're having this conversation about like sin and its impact in our life. And then he's like, you know, you're sounding more and more like a Calvinist. And I was like, yeah, I am. And he's like, <laughs> they still have those? (laughs) I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I thought that had died out, like Arianism. And I was like, no, like, like, we're still around. He's like, really? I've never met a Calvinist. I was like, have you met a Presbyterian? He's like, well, yeah. I was like, they're Calvinists. Like, he had no idea. But but vice versa, um, in my mind, up to that point, I, I had Catholic friends, but they were I'm going to say like christmas and easter mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. it was like they didn't go to church regularly this fellow was you know mass every sunday uh you yeah. know like very you know catechism mm-hmm, altar boy mm-hmm. like very very into so we had all of a sudden all these like meaningfully rich conversations about worldview and perspective from like a catholic versus you know the reformed yep. perspective yeah and it broke down a lot of barriers but it was also just a time of growth to get to know yeah, yeah how people yeah. think about things do you
0: know uh do you know blaze yeah yeah yeah, so I I we, we I did a podcast with him and we got to sat down and just talk about the differences and similarities between Catholicism and Protestantism and I was yeah I was I was kind of astonished with how little I knew of Catholicism to be honest. Yeah, you know, so it's, he it's gave complex.
1: me it's complex. It's very complex, and I mean they only have had two thousand years to you know yeah. build it up. So, um, but I would also say vice versa. There's there's a there's, I mean I'm sure this is with many religions, but there's just a huge lack of understanding from both sides of where the other is coming from. So, you know. Uh, a very common one. I mean, I, again, I'm not no expert on Catholicism, but sure. I'll just give an yeah. example of like how this happened, right? So I was like, "Well, you pray to Mary," and they're like, "No, we don't."
0: Hmm. I was
1: like, "What do you mean? Absolutely, you do. Like, you worship Mary," and they're like, "No, we venerate her." And I'm like, "I don't even know what venerate is, yeah, right? Like, yeah. I, that's like not a we don't have that in our vocabulary." Mm-hmm. So I was like, "Well, what do you mean?" They're like, "Well, we honor her because she was God's mother, and it says uh, that you know, blessed are you, uh, <coughs> woman, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Like, that's literally mm-hmm. in the Bible." And I was like, "No." you worship her. And they're like, no, we don't. (laughs) So stop trying to put words into our mouth. And I was like, my whole world is blown up. No, you do. (laughs) So these are the sorts of things where it's like having these conversations, all of a sudden you're forced to think through where you're coming from and just have this very, it's very easy to have this simplistic, like, yeah, they they worship Mary, but then when they're like, actually, no, we really don't, yeah. and all we do is honor her. Then all of a sudden, you're forced to rethink how you think about that. Right? Yeah, totally. But then it brings in all these other questions, and then yeah, it's good it's definitely
0: yeah, that's a whole not, another podcast, that's a whole <laughs> other conversation. But it is it is an act of like, the, to to a degree, and you have to be careful with this. It's, it is an act of like charity and love to really learn someone else's categories of how they see their religion or how they see whatever they're talking about, and try and like use their categories if they find those categories really meaningful. Maybe put another way, it's um it's unfair to simply take someone else's systems and ram it into your categories and say, this is how it has to be. You know what I mean? Yeah, I,
1: I would say uh, even things like m- the concept of venial and mortal sin, mm-hmm. right? Where you have sort of venial sins, which are, I don't know, little sins, I guess you could call them. Yeah, in a sense. And then mortal sins, which are like these grave, like serious, very, all sin is serious, but you know, Huge Mm -hmm. sins, adultery, or things like that. Um, As opposed to, let's say, like gossip, which might be a venial sin. Uh, I never thought of categories that way, right? We just Mm -hmm. have, like, in our, it's just sin. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you could argue, yeah, biblically sin is sin and all sin is sin, but it, it was just a very interesting way to approach, yeah. it. okay, now I have a category, a way to think of these mm-hmm. things. And I don't agree that like this one's penance and that one's you know all these things. But either way, like you said, it was it was really helpful to be able to approach things mm-hmm. through the
0: lens of and the categories, the way they're thinking yep. about that. Even if you don't ultimately agree with those categories, you at least for the sake of conversation, want to work it through using their systems because that's how you listen well. 100% yeah, yeah
1: and just are better able to understand where others are coming from and then also say like where are some areas of common ground right and in mm-hmm. politics this is a big thing all the time there might be all sorts of areas that I disagree with someone on um, but I, I think we'll get to it but for example uh, palliative care right so mm-hmm. let's talk about palliative care for a second so I've done a lot of work on palliative care it's something I'm very passionate about um, there's all sorts of human life areas that I'm not going to agree with my colleague from the new democrats on right i believe uh life matters also pre-birth i i'm uh very much in favor of you know supporting life the whole way through um they would place uh personal autonomy over up against the value of individual lives Mm -hmm. uh on 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 sort of that calculus but um i was able to work with my colleagues from the ndp and from the liberals and even the green party on saying we do need more access to palliative care like regardless of where you stand on all these other human dignity issues and human uh life issues let's say we do agree on this and let's work on that and Mm -hmm. that's helpful i found in politics is to not ignore where your differences are they're there they're real and you can't just ignore them forever but also saying here are some areas that we do have some consensus some common ground
0: let's work on those totally and the areas that you do work with someone on aren't a running commentary on your differences. They just, they can stand alone as working together. It doesn't mean you're by necessity compromising the area you disagree, right? Correct. Which is an unfortunate conflation that that people make, right? Yeah,
1: 100%. That's actually really interesting because I've heard this before. Oh, well, actually I've heard it about like our premier, right? Not to Mm -hmm. get into everything, but uh, oh, he's worked with um, uh, Trudeau on uh, uh, like manufacturing or whatever Mm -hmm. it was. It's like, yeah, so he did. He worked together with him on a couple things. Um, But that doesn't mean that they don't disagree on all these other things. I work together with people I disagree with all the time. And if I didn't, frankly, I would be completely useless because if you can't work together with someone who you don't disagree with, you're not gonna get very far. (laughs) Not just in politics, probably in life because you kind of have to work with people in order to be able to build something up. Otherwise, you're just gonna always get bogged down in all the differences, which doesn't mean that they're not important and absolutely are still there
0: but you also have to look beyond them and say where's some where's some common ground and some consensus mm-hmm. yeah. and and was this was this like part and parcel of your life up in ottawa like this these kind of things work with people differences um like what, how did that manifest itself i guess hugely hugely so um
1: i would say even just working on areas uh, such as international human rights and working with people that um yeah might have a very different worldview on some areas uh i, I even look at Within my caucus, Um, I'll I'll take it from Ottawa, but also to to Queen's Park, because at Queen's Park, I think that that's the same dynamic as some of my biggest champions of the legislation that I brought forward called Protecting Ontario's Religious Diversity Act, which adds uh, protecting (coughs) religious expression to the Human Rights Code. Mm. My biggest champions, both in caucus, in cabinet and outside of it, um, were not fellow Evangelicals, they were, you know, uh, my Muslim friend because he knows what it's like to be discriminated against based off of his faith, mm-hmm. and my uh, Hindu friend, and my my Jewish friend who's, you know, been called more names than I've ever been called, and I've been called a lot of names, um, or 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 my Sikh friend who, you know, is worried that every time he goes onto uh, the subway, someone's like profiling him because, you know, they're 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 worried, and and those are the sorts of things that they've been able to say. We disagree on all sorts of things. We disagree on the afterlife. We disagree on justification. We disagree <laughs> on, like god. there's a, ton, a god, right? We yeah. like we disagree on like everything, mm-hmm. uh, not everything. I shouldn't say that, but a lot of things, like sure. a lot of big things. But we're able to put aside, um, you know, uh, the nature of deity and the Trinity uh, to say we believe that in our society, a common good is uh, a free expression of faith in a meaningful way, mm-hmm. and we can work together on that. Uh, and that's something that in Ottawa as well uh, didn't happen enough, but was was an area I started to to see that, and then be able to work at that in Queens Park mm-hmm.
0: as well. Very cool. Yeah. Um, what do you what do you feel like your on a personal level your biggest like character or skill set takeaways were from your time in Ottawa?
1: Ooh, that's a very good question. Uh, it's w- a to very answer, hard right? one to answer yeah. on the fly, yeah. I, w- I would have to say maybe uh, slowing down a little bit hmm. and asking some questions without the need for rebuttal. It's I think part of being from a large family is my tendency is to be uh, argumentative is how yeah, I'll put yeah. it nicely. <laughs> Others would say stubborn and pig-headed, but uh, to... to tend to okay so this is what you think i'm now going to try rebut it mm-hmm. but sometimes actually i have a terrible rebuttal and i shouldn't even be trying to rebut it i should just be listening and trying to understand where they're coming from and slowing down and absorbing it mm. uh, and that was really good experience as a, as a young staffer there in ottawa working for an mp um who was very good at being like okay you have the right idea calm right down yeah <laughs> and yeah. just take a step back and just listen to all sides before you rush into this
0: thing headlong. And how old? Because you're you're like what, eighteen? 19? I was eighteen at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah.
1: yeah so I was like, I, well, I was off on my own for the first time in the sense of yeah. like living in Ottawa on your own. Uh, you know, you're working a, a full time white collar job in a high pressure environment mm-hmm. where, um, you know, you're you're an adult and you have to act like an adult. You don't get to. You're not a kid anymore. You're not. Mm-hmm. As much as I loved you know landscaping and everything else, like it doesn't quite have the same consequences uh, you know, when you're swinging a weed whacker as if you're going to a parliamentary committee with the wrong briefing notes. So yeah. th- those those were very formative months, I would say. It actually wasn't even years because I was I started there in December and then I was uh, running for office by the following August. So it okay. felt like a long time, but it actually wasn't a long time mm. if you look back at it. Um, but those were very formative just for, yeah, understanding how to build consensus and, and trying to have um yes a sense of also where your own identity was because mm. what I'm, I'm sure you've experienced this too once you have freedom to do whatever you want then you get to decide also what you actually want to do right mm-hmm. uh, and that's something that was was beneficial uh, to to decide like building good time management skills building uh the importance of prioritizing relationships and what that looks like mm-hmm. and uh personal devotions and all these sorts of things that um once you're on your own and making all those decisions, either you make them or you don't, and if yep. you don't, you get the consequences of not. Yeah. So that was all just really important. I yeah, think.
0: yeah. I uh, I nearly ended up in the same uh, program that you took. Yeah. 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 I was close to. That's amazing. I had, some, I had some media ideas that I wanted to do up there with the Conservative Party. Very. I'm, I'm very grateful my life went in a in a much different direction, the, the theology nerd direction instead of the political nerd direction. Still. But I cool. yeah, it was it was an interesting. I I just was very interested in that for a while. Yeah,
1: there's a lot of great opportunities. Like Mm. uh, the brainandboot.com is one uh, really good one. Uh, The Conservative Party Internships, another good one. Um, the Laurentian Leadership Center is another good one. There, there's a few different ones mm. that are really interesting and just provide amazing opportunities. But yeah, God opens different doors for different people in different Definitely. ways, right? And yeah. it's, it's, a, it's just funny to see how, you, I don't know if how you were, but I always had like a big life plan. Okay. I was always like, okay, in six, seven years, that's what I'm gonna, so so I had this whole thing where I was like, okay, so I'm gonna go for my undergrad, and then I'm gonna go into law school at 22, and then I'm gonna uh, you know, be in my third year of law school, I'm gonna get a girlfriend at 20, five i'm gonna get uh, you know engaged at 26 married at 27 when i'm in my articling year and then get called to the none of it worked out yeah yeah. like literally none of it worked out that way which i'm very thankful for carrie is amazing sullivan's amazing i'm super happy that i you know got married and life took a different turn and god opened those doors but it is funny because i was always someone who was very structured and now people are like so where do you see yourself in five years yeah And you're like, I've learned very well (laughs) well not to try and see myself Yeah, exactly. It's good to have plans, but just understand that those plans likely are not what will end up happening. Yeah.
0: And I've just found too, like, like for me, I'm in the middle of documentary work right now, right? And it's like, dude, I've got so much complexity looking me in the next six months in the face. I'm going to deal with that. And then at six months, I'm, you know, God will open doors or close doors then, but it's not worth my time to think that far in the future. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, or at least I don't know if you feel the same way, but I'm, that's a hard thing to do, though. Is is to not always be. I, I'm always planning
1: ahead, but it's just sure. now I've learned that even when I'm planning ahead, just knowing that it probably won't happen mm-hmm. the way that I have planned, yeah. and it's just like you have to be okay with that. Doesn't mean you make a don't make a plan. It just mm-hmm. means be aware the plan will probably change yeah. like five times. Yeah,
0: and, and to be fair, if you if you if you're doing only six month blocks and you literally have no idea after that, that might not be a big. A good <laughs> idea. But yeah, that's all right. yeah, and that's then right. I mean yeah, you I like you said kind of earlier you had no you didn't really plan to be to be an mpp did you no like, not,
1: not not growing up no absolutely not so that I was a whole left field yeah it was a whole was a whole left field i will say one of the things that had some impact on it i mean the biggest thing was just wanting to serve yeah and,
0: you started the, the whole process while you were in ottawa is that correct or yeah. you came back first and yeah then, oh. so i
1: was in ottawa so essentially what so, so the context to it as well is that I had a friend, a good friend. She was uh, she was from Stephen Harper's constituency. Mm-hmm. So you have to remember this is uh, spring 2016. Harper, we lost the government in the fall of 2015, right? The okay. federal government. Um, so she's in his constituency. Stephen Harper steps down as MP and i was like you got to go run like you got to go run there and she's like i don't have to run i don't want to run i was like you should mm-hmm. run you should absolutely run we need good people you'd make an excellent mp uh, i think she was 23 24 something like that uh, and she said you go run i was like haha no <laughs> and she was like wow it's easy for you to say that someone should go mm-hmm. run it's a lot harder to do i'm you know, enjoying my life here i have a good job all these sorts of things um and i said well we need good people who are going to represent the people and do the work we, do- we can't just have the old boys club." So this is all in, like, April, May. Mm-hmm. She doesn't end up running uh, after I uh, tried pressure her to run, uh, which is obviously, I mean, she, she's doing fantastic work now in other areas with Cardis and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. uh, then in August... Uh, close to the end of my time in Ottawa I was accepted to university for the fall at, at Brock at the time I was uh, you know going back to university I had all my courses everything like ready
0: well it so for piano for performance no so this was uh, political science okay, and economics so you, you had swapped because that I'd swapped because okay, I couldn't okay.
1: maintain the like 3 hours a day in piano playing gotcha, gotcha. I just couldn't yeah. do it with this but yeah you, hours so you, you
0: at this point you had a full course load at Brock lined up yeah even, so and, everything's
1: wow. lined up this is August beginning of August all of a sudden I get an email saying Tim Hudak stepped down so Tim Hudak had lost the 2014 provincial election, uh-huh. right? He'd been the PC party leader. He then said he wasn't running. He was stepping down, so there was going to be a by-election. And uh, and so in this context, I'm like, again, she comes back to me. She says, hey, you were pressuring me to run. It's your turn, your turn to run, right? And I was like, ha, ah, ah, ha, ah, ha, very funny. I'm only 18 at the time. I was mm-hmm. still 18. I said it's a little bit different you have an undergrad and you have some work experience and you know she, she's six or seven years older than I am I think and uh, so I started calling people in in the constituency I started calling some business owners and some people working with not-for-profits and a local principal and and just calling and saying like hey um, so Tim's not running have you thought about it we'd love to have good people and literally just one after the other was no 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 like all the good people didn't yeah, want to run. Yeah. they were all busy And then what happened was uh, a former MP from St. Catharines was running and I don't want to like rehash and get negative or anything, Mm -hmm. but either way um, that MP had uh, said he was pro-life and then voted against pro-life legislation that came forward. Mm -hmm. Um, And to me it was like really concerning because people still thought he was from the community. He, you know, a last name that was Dutch. People are like, Oh, he's, you know, good reform guy, um, which in my opinion was, was not the case. Um, And so I, I was like, Desperately trying to get someone to run and no one would run. And then people were starting to say, well, you should run then. And again, I'm walking through this process of uh, very young, don't have that much life experience, uh, all these things. And then I started praying about it and just really asking people what they thought about the options in front of them. So one was the Mm. party president. One was the vice president of the party at the time. um, And they said, well, we don't like any of the options. It's just Mm. the old boys club all over again. So they said, well, if you run, we'll help you out. Okay. And I said, well, I'm not going to run unless this is, unless there's it's a credible run. I don't, I'm not running in the sense that like, I, I didn't expect to win it, but I wanted to put a race in that could potentially win the nomination at right. that point. Yeah. Um, and so started doing some fundraising, which we've talked about before, um, started calling people and just asking them if mm. they would be willing to consider supporting me if I did run. And it was just, yes, 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 yes. One after right. the other. And uh, so... I uh, talked to, you know, my brothers. Uh, Aaron was a huge, huge help and a, a huge support. He was Phenomenal my campaign manager. He's a wonderful fellow uh, at that time. And uh, I talked to my dad and my dad was like, well, if you do it, uh, don't count on me helping you out. You got to do it on your own. I was like, all right, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs>
0: yeah. And uh, you think that was uh, like an intentional thing for your dad being like, this is your thing to do. You yes. Know what I mean? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah which, I is, think which is wise, you know?
1: Yeah, but he's done that with mo- pretty much... Mom and dad are very encouraging and very supportive. And my mother's always been very much like, go out and do hard things, like Mm -hmm. just, you can do it. Um, But they're also like, we're not gonna be the ones doing it. You're the one doing it, if you wanna do this, pray about it, do the work. If it doesn't work, it's because of you. And if it works, then yeah, then it was because of you as well. Mm. So uh, we went out and and it was, it was yeah it was really remarkable it was the lord just kept having people show up and offer to help or we would call someone and they would be like let's do it and they would get really involved and start signing people up and I mean, I'm sure you remember it at the time, there was like hundreds and hundreds of people, both both from the community that we just cold called and literally yeah, yeah. went and door knocked their house and was like, hey, yeah. I'm local, I wanna fight for you, <clears throat> can I count on your vote? They're like, yep. Yeah. And people in church circles and the community yeah. and uh, all sorts of different areas got involved. I think, I think
0: involved. even I managed to go out door knocking for one little bit. Yeah, I think so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Cause it was,
1: there were lots of, of people that came out. It was yeah, It was really, yeah, years, it, was really, it was really amazing. And, uh, but I didn't have a victory speech written. So by the time, like, the nomination <laughs> happened, when it actually happened there, I was kind of in shock that I had won because I hadn't planned on winning uh, in the sense that I had run to be a strong voice, but I didn't think it was hmm. very likely. Yeah, so that was just a crazy,
0: crazy experience. Yeah. That's interesting. It's interesting, hey, to, to both, I'm, I finding this fascinating, but to really walk through your headspace leading up to that, because people might think that you're just, you know, looking for an opportunity to grab power and as soon as this little little nugget of a window came up you just went for it with everything you're worth and it's like doesn't seem like that's the case you were it was a door you walked through that door but it was with a spirit of uh, i'm looking for other options and this seems like the place that god's put me in take a tentative step forward tentative another step this seems to be right Mm -hmm. and yeah i I, maybe people don't quite realize how that came about you know what i mean yeah that's 100 percent
1: the case it was like there was a door and it started opening I was like hey do you want to go through it yeah other <laughs> people and I was trying to push all these other people yeah. who had more experience and more knowledge and more uh, political background mm. and stuff um, but then there were these other kind of uh, less uh, convicted people who were like oh I want to go take that door and I was like oh you're not a good person for that mm. door that's not yeah. right these are the other candidates and so again it, I, 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 I ran with the plan that we could win but I didn't anticipate to win sure we ran to be a strong voice for local issues um to be a a principled voice a voice of conviction you know i didn't run thinking covid was going to happen you know when i ran patrick brown was my leader at the time right like i you know doug ford was he'd run for city mayor and failed in toronto like he was i wasn't even thinking about him at the time this was you know I think. What what was this? This was this 20, was 2016. This 2016. was the fall of 2016. Wow. Yeah, it's a while ago. I know it's already five and a half years. It's crazy, oh eh? man! I know when, a, you, when you when ins- you
0: yeah when you think about that when you eh? think
1: about that like it's a long time ago. This wasn't just a couple of years yeah. ago. Now, yeah. So it was a totally different world, and so um, yeah, I just find it interesting just how things change so quickly, and yeah. even where we are today. Like our cultural moment is so different than it was when mm. I was first elected yeah. on on so many issues. Totally, it's, it's crazy, but. I also think that, uh, yeah, there's different opportunities that have come up as well and, and different ways. I, again, things that you never plan or think are going to happen ended up being uh, still parliamentary assistant to the Minister of Education when we mm-hmm. formed government in 2018, which was something I hadn't anticipated at all, if you right. ask me, right? Just coming from uh, uh the background that i had uh it wasn't exactly my uh, anticipated portfolio and right. and i was very thankful to to work in that portfolio and to be able to uh, do some really good things i believe mm. there but uh yeah just you can't really predict politics is very strange one minute someone will be top of the world and the other minute they'll be mm. you know bottom of the pile and and uh just trying to be nice to everybody along yeah. the way is i think an important part of that so
0: how uh this is a very broad question. How do you maintain sanity? Because like particularly and I don't I have zero interest in specifics, but COVID, if nothing else, has been stressful for everybody on every level. And, you know, through all this stuff is how what do you how do you maintain a level of peace of mind? I don't quite have a word, but how do you not lose it? My question. Yeah, a good, not, a, no, it's really record, a really good question. It's I'm not of... sure
1: I wouldn't have. Like. <laughs> um so i think everyone's always like and i think anyone who pretends that they have a perfect zen or they're just Mm. perfectly at ease or that they don't have spiritual struggles or going through uh darker moments and 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 higher moments it wouldn't be accurate to say that so totally i've had moments where i've thought you know is this where this is where god's placed me is this where i should be Mm. um and also that changes with the day right you can have an impact uh I look at things on COVID and, and yeah, I won't get into specifics too much, but, you know, ways that you could, I was able to have impact on things like church capacity, for mm-hmm. example, right? And what the capacity limits were there and being able to uh, be a voice on, on some areas that, uh, again, like, Can't get into caucus confidentiality but just being able to share where what i was hearing from constituents on some issues um so there were real moments of of thankfulness and being able to see some of the good things that came out of that as well uh but then also yeah you know moments of frustration and uh moments of moments of uh seeing that no matter what happened um there were going to be people frustrated on either side and just remembering that you weren't doing it for you were doing it for people in the sense of um, you're trying to do the best thing for people, but mm. you weren't going to be swayed by just what people wanted. Right. And that's a really tough thing to wrap your head around. Um, but re- realizing that f- just because 51% of people, either in a municipality or in your writing or even in your circles, think something's a good idea, mm. doesn't mean it's a good idea. Yeah. And so there were times where I was probably for sure the odd man out in where, you know, our our circles might be on some yeah. things, um, but I genuinely felt it was the right position. And there were other times where uh, I might not have been comfortable with something, but was able to make it better than it would have been otherwise. Yeah. And so being able to go back to that. But uh, having an amazing wife who I could talk through these things mm. and just share with and pray with and go back to the word, um, the preaching, man, like Sundays, so thankful for Sundays. Mm. Um, uh, Sundays stopped me from burning out. Yeah. Uh, like I have some colleagues who are not necessarily burnt, burnt out, but they're, they're fried. They're so tired. They're sure. so just, you can just tell, like, especially after the campaign and everything else, they're exhausted and to take Sundays and just go and be in the word and spend time with family and, uh, not read social media. Those things are really, really healthy. And I believe just have been life altering and life saving. Yeah. Yeah. So grace, grace alone would be the short answer, <laughs> yeah. um, for sure, but also just A recognition that I'm not going to be able to make everyone happy and Mm. I'm not there to make everyone happy I'm there to make the right decision no matter the cost
0: yeah yeah
1: Uh, my former boss who is an MP in Calgary told me once when I was first elected the first day I was elected he said you're never gonna be as popular as the day you are elected he's like you're never gonna have as many friends as you do today and I was like, "Ha ha ha!" He's like, "No, because the second you start making decisions, there's going to be people who don't like the decisions you make." Yeah. And right now, this is 2016. He's like, "Right now, when things all, were not, we're, yeah, yeah. yeah, when it's <laughs>
0: comparatively worth, like yeah, life we're was like an oasis, now,
1: exactly." So he's like, "Right now, everyone has placed on you what they think you're going to do." Yeah, and you haven't disappointed anyone yet. So both, the, you know, everyone on all sides is thinking the absolute best about what you can be. He's like, the reality is you're going to be human and you're going to make decisions that mm-hmm. will let people down, but keep your focus, try to do the right thing. And remember that, yeah, you're there to serve people. Um, but ultimately, yeah, that doesn't mean that it's always going to be
0: popular. Definitely. Definitely. And man, I, yeah, I, you probably, and I don't expect you to have any thoughtful comment on this, but I've read the comments. I rarely do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've read the comments on, on like your Facebook posts and they're vitriolic from every side of the aisle. And, you know, part of the reason I wanted to have you on is, like, people need to realize that you're a human, man. Like, and I think a really, th- a really thoughtful human who's doing a lot of good, but human nonetheless. And so, you know, you've, you've got stories. You've got reasons why you're here. You've, you love Jesus. I you're do. committed to your church. You love the people that you represent. And so people, like, it's important to hear that and then to take a little bit of humility and go... It's possible if I were swapped places, I might not do any better of a job. Just maybe. You know what I mean? Maybe. They might have done better. Who well, knows? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> they can run. Yeah. <laughs> Next time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and the, the offer is always open, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey,
1: hey, you know what? There were people who were very frustrated who ran against me last election, and yeah. that was their right. Yeah, That's totally. the beauty of a democracy. I do not hold it against them. Um, they believe they could have done a better job than I did in this situation, and the people of Niagara decided
0: that they couldn't mm. have, Yeah, that was their right awesome do we have a time restraint going or what's Oh, we a, can still do five result? six minutes okay, yeah cool. yeah i'd love to talk about the um like anti-human trafficking work that you've that you've been doing specifically for implementing protocols in schools yeah right? that's is that a good synopsis like talk to me about that because, yeah like let's be real at least for like in the last couple of years the only thing we've ever talked about is covid which is entirely exhaustively boring at this point and you've done some really cool work so Like in this area, which is something I'm passionate about and I talk about in different capacities in the podcast. Talk to me about that. Where did this come from? What have you been doing? Yeah, absolutely. So um,
1: essentially what happened was we were having a conversation. I was having a conversation with uh, a woman who's a survivor, uh, Cassandra. Um, She was trafficked when she was a a young teen uh, Mm. for years and and got caught in the uh, human trafficking trade. Um, and she was just talking about like avenues for women, predominantly women who are in uh, who are being trafficked and and the lack of resources that are there, but also just the lack of knowledge in our school system um, hmm. about this. And I was I'm the parliamentary assistant to the uh, minister of education. So I, I went and spoke with the minister and with a colleague who was al- also in the meeting with with Cassandra from uh, Bridge North, which is an organization that helps women who are are coming out of uh, the trade. And uh, we spoke about this need and I started just doing more research into um, even here in the Niagara region like we we don't really realize this so much because we're on the west side, you and I, right, Mm -hmm. We're, we're in West Niagara. West Niagara is not at all representative of East Niagara. Like, Mm. if you're talking Lundy's Lane, if you're talking uh, areas in St. Catharines, if you're talking um, areas in Fort Erie that are next to the border, um, there is huge amounts of human trafficking that's happening right under our our nose. And the average age of a trafficked girl is 14, right, Mm. when she starts. Like, this is just Unbelievably disgusting and terrible stuff that's happening under our nose, right uh, in Niagara. It's it's a hotspot mm. spot for human trafficking, cross border trade. Um, they bring girls down from Montreal on the 400 series. They'll keep them here for a weekend, traffic them, and drive them back up through 400 series because you have ac- easy access. But a lot of that is girls who are being trafficked on the weekend and they're in school during the week. Yeah. And people think of it as kidnapping. It's generally not. It is kidnapping in the sense that they're they're taking these girls and and bringing them places, right? And with it's just terrible situations. But but it's not like it's um, a missing person alert. Generally, it's mm-hmm. it's could be someone who's right next to you who's just having a difficult time in school and who's um, being emotionally manipulated or um, being lured or whatever this looks like. And so, speaking with the survivor, she's like the the most common thing is that uh, it's it's usually younger girls who uh, have older men that are trafficking them, and these are some of the the ways that they're doing this. And she's like, but no one in the school system knows what to do. So yeah. if a if a daughter or a girl comes in, self-discloses to her teacher, the teacher's like, I don't know what to do. Right? I'll yeah. call, the, call the cops. Uh, well, they're not going to go to the police because they've been trained that the, from from their pimp more than likely that the police are there to get them, right? mm-hmm. which is not the case. But this is sort of what is built in. So what we did was we brought together a working group of survivors um, and and uh, predominantly women working in uh, sort of the rescuing field, bringing women out of uh, trafficking with school boards, uh, with law enforcement, with Indigenous partners. Um, indigenous women are disproportionately trafficked, uh, especially in Ontario, but really across, across Canada. Um, And so we brought them all together and said, like, what do we need to have in place based off of what we're seeing in the different areas? How can we require a protocol so that staff are able to know what to do when a child self-discloses? What is their next call? What sort of supports are going to be in place? What resources, what training do they need to have to recognize the signs? Mm. Um, If you have a a, a 14-year-old girl who all of a sudden is showing up with very, very expensive jewelry, um, and has an older boyfriend who's picking her up after school and he's clearly, you know, in his 30s and uh, she won't talk about it. Like, there's something going on. That's a sign, yeah, right? Yeah. So we started to be able to have these conversations and, and work to bring in, yeah, the first in Canada. So a, a, a human trafficking protocol that, Um, is tied to a lot of funding around uh, training for staff and Mm. for students alike and creating awareness of what the signs are of trafficking and awareness of even online Um, and that kind of works in conjunction with some of the other measures things like our updated curriculum like our sex ed curriculum which has a lot of awareness on uh, the the signs of human trafficking, um, the impacts of violent uh, online pornography as well on um, on the human trafficking trade and driving the demand. So that was definitely something very thankful to have been able to work on, and, and we brought that in last year, and it's being implemented across the province now. There's flexibilities built into it because Niagara has a very different situation than mm. Toronto, which might be different than Ottawa, which might be different than Northern Ontario. So there is flexibility built in, but it's about giving those tools to the boards yeah. who often are like, Oh, we don't have this problem. There's nothing going on here. And literally in some of these boards, there's hundreds of cases that the police can't even track because there's so many, right? Right. So saying we don't just need we don't just need police services, because for a lot of these women um, that's not the solution. Law enforcement is not the solution. It's social services. It's housing. It's awareness and uh, and creating those supports more broadly. So that's been that's been an
0: area I've been really thankful to work on. Yeah, yeah. that's probably um, super meaningful to do. Hey,
1: Yeah, it has been. Yeah, because uh, yeah, you because yeah, working in that that working group, too, and having the survivors come to you and, and talk about. What it means to see that there's going to be girls who aren't being trafficked and others who are going to be brought Mm. out of what they were in. And then they tell you some of the just horrifying stories of what they were in. It's just uh, gut wrenching. But also, yeah, you're thankful that you're able to be a catalyst for something like that. Right. Mm. Um, And that those conversations then could get turned into action the one thing about government work is it always takes way too long in my opinion. Like like you have the conversation and then you strike a committee and then you have the motion and then the motion goes to the legislature and then the vote comes back and then you, and on and on. But eventually you do get somewhere. I mean, that is the satisfying thing is is even Mm -hmm. with my legislation on palliative care, it took four and a half years to get it into law. We started in 2016 and then it became law in December of 2020. Um, but now, you know, we've seen our palliative care beds go from about 360 when I first came to office, or sort 400. Yeah, 360 to over 600 today, like Dang. almost double the amount of palliative care beds in the province of Ontario. And that's directly linked to the work I did with um, a lot of providers of palliative care and advocates for palliative care to bring forward this legislation, the Compassionate Care Act. So it takes a lot of time, but once it happens, it's very satisfying to see it, yeah, Definitely. moving
0: forward. Yeah, Definitely. It's good. Sam, I really enjoyed this. Thank this you. Been a great it was
1: very nice to chat. Thank you, Jacob. Fantastic. Blessings
0: to you, man. Dude, all the best. Thank you for listening to this podcast's conversation. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed it, consider subscribing and sharing and all that jazz. It's immensely helpful. I'm all about having meaningful, interesting conversations. So if you know of someone I should talk to, hit me up on Instagram at it's the volk. Have a good one, guys.